Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. That's right. That's why we're here. Real Business Impact. And let's see. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. And it's true. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I found a quote from a gentleman named Aaron McEwen, M-C-E-W-A-N, or pronounced some other way. He's the VP of Research and Advisory for Gartner. He works with HR leaders. Here's the quote. Listen up. HR can't evade talent analytics any longer and the function must be willing to adapt and evolve well if that's not handwriting on the wall thank you mr McEwen. so what are we talking about today well hr has a pronounced interest in analytics but there is what we're going to call in quotes an execution gap between their intention what they say they want and their action what is hr actually doing about it is your company and i'm talking to our listeners all over the world we know you're out there listening live or you're going to be hearing the show soon on demand are you one of the many organizations that are stuck with okay come on you know what they are ad hoc reports we need this let's do it now okay well we didn't put a lot of thought into it but we still need it let's do it and Excel spreadsheets OMG in order to adopt leading analytics practices and yes they are available consistent with your company's culture you need to think about the metrics that will help you evaluate your talent risks and opportunities and I said both risks and opportunities I said risks first actually across your HR processes across your recruiting your learning and training the performance the succession planning and everything that has to do with the very very big job assigned to your HR team so we have three experts who are going to help us figure this all out let me tell you who they are before we hear from them in just a moment we will be welcoming let's see we have two newcomers and one returning panelist Scott Pollock he spells his last name P-O-L-L-A-K he is at people a people analytics partner we'll find out what that means at PWC Price Waterhouse Coopers happy to have him on board another newcomer Julia Howes I understand we've had her father on some shows a few years ago. We'll talk about that later. She is a thriving workforce strategist. We've got to find out what that is at Mercer. Welcome to Julia rounding out the panel. He hasn't been on in a couple of years, but we're glad to welcome him back. It's Mick Collins, Global Vice President for the Workforce Analytics and Planning Products at SAP Success Factors. And a shout out to Koros at SAP Success Factors who helped put this together, Koros Bizod. And a shout out, of course, to the sponsor of the series, Dr. Patricia Fletcher. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And let's get started with the quote Scott Pollack has sent us, Scott, this is something we've never heard before, a quote from Theo Epstein, full name Theo or Theo, I don't know how he pronounces it, Nathaniel Epstein, born in 1973, he's a very young man, American baseball executive currently serving as the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs, that's the MLB Major League Baseball. He became the youngest general manager in the history of the MLB when the Boston Red Sox hired him at age 28 back in 2002, and guess what, two years later the Red Sox won their first World Series championship in 86 years and another one in 2007. On October 
October 21st, 2011, he resigned at the job in Boston and became president of baseball for the Cubs, who in 2016, wait for it, won their first World Series championship in 108 years. So here's the quote. I think everyone deserves more than one World Series every 108 years or so. Scott Pollack, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I love the quote. We don't get a lot of sports quotes, and this intrigued me. This Epstein is a young guy, and obviously he's got that, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, but maybe, in fact, he's got analytics. So tell me how you picked this quote, and how does it relate to our topic today, talking about workforce analytics, talent analytics, HR management analytics. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it uh, it, it works for me on probably three or four levels, uh, one of which is I'm an inveterate Cubs fan. I was part of the peop- the group waiting for maybe not 108 years in my uh, situation. <laughs> and so uh, works for me, certainly from a very visceral reaction. Um, the other thing that works for me is this is a very basic statement of probability. There are 30 teams in Major League Baseball. So, yes, mm-hmm. you win one World Series every 30 years. And the fact that the Cubs didn't win for 108 years and didn't even go for 70 years sort of puts them at the, the, the tail end of most statistical probability uh, statements. Uh, it works for me on another level that the way that he did win was to start to apply statistics uh, very early in his career, but then certainly with the Cubs to create a much more statistical base to pair with uh, the culture of the Cubs to, to bring those two things together to create a superior capability. And I think the last way in which this um, fits is that what baseball has done and other sports have done is start to normalize expected performance of individuals and then evaluate their performance against that expectation. And I think that really represents an opportunity for most businesses to start to think about not just the absolute performance of an individual, but how does that performance compare against what we would expect out of that role and that capability so we can really assess uh, the value in that relationship. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I really appreciate the statistic you just gave, Scott, saying that the way it should work is everybody gets to win once every 30 years. You're being such a Cubs fan. Any thoughts on how they felt when finally, after 108, which is more than three times the 30, they should have won four times by then already or three and a half times. So what was the thought going on at the Cubs headquarters when they won? Oh, I don't think there was a whole lot of thinking, just a lot of cheering and yelling. I know at our house, I had a (laughs) bottle of champagne from many years ago that was in the refrigerator that we sprayed around. Uh, outside. So I, I don't think there was a whole lot of thinking, just sort of <laughs> happiness. It was probably, well, thank goodness, maybe now we can get into that 30-year swing if anybody's still around to see the next one. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Uh, how much of analytics is being used today in baseball? I know we see it in sailing. We, we see all kinds of sensors and analytics. We hear, hear about it in football. The fans are getting all kinds of stats from what's going on on the field. How much of, is being used in terms of intelligent technologies in baseball today just a, a quick question for you scott oh i, I think it's uh, it's everywhere and it's the it, you know starting probably in the 70s with bill james uh and recognize that it's it's the basis for finding uh competitive advantage if you ask executives about it on a sports talk radio show and how they're doing it and what they're doing uh relative to analytics they won't say because they recognize this the source of their differentiation
Thank you very much. Very nice to meet you. And let's go to our next panelist, another newcomer. She is Julia Howes. And Julia has sent us four little tiny words that probably every sports fan in every major stadium, at least in the United States, Julia, is familiar with. Uh, if I just say, hey, ho, let's go. Let me give the background. It's from a song called The Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. It was their debut single and the first track on their debut album, Ramones, all the way back in 1976. It was co-written by Tommy Ramone. Music and lyrics and D.D. Ramone wrote the lyrics. And as I said, it's very popular at sporting events. It shouted as a rallying cry. Anybody who doesn't know the Ramones, American punk rock band formed in the New York City neighborhood of Forest Hills, Queens. I grew up in Douglaston, Little Neck, went to Bayside High School, so I had friends who were at Forest Hills High back in 1974. They were the first band to define the punk rock sound, and the accolades keep pouring in. They're considered on Rolling Stones, 100 Greatest Artists of All Time, number 26. They had the, this song had the 100 Greatest Guitar Track on Q Magazine's Top 31, and VH1 considered this song number 25 of the greatest hard rock song of all time. Woohoo! So here again is the quote. Hey, ho, let's go. Julia House, I don't know where we're going, but take me there. How are you, Julia, and welcome. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much, very much. Um, well, I guess like Scott, actually, the quote works for me on a number of different levels. Um, so the first level I was actually last week. Um, I was at a different conference when I was thinking through uh, this, and um, they used it in their agenda, and the conference was all about um, bringing beauty and humanity back to business and that really spoke to me and I think it's something we probably don't speak enough about at the moment and I also think that there's probably an amazing role for analytics to play in helping us bring that humanity back to business. I think on the second level uh, the phrase actually encapsulates to me a little bit of a solution to this execution gap. Um, So we've been talking about the execution gap in analytics for a number of years. It's, It's not a particularly new topic. And I think one of the ongoing frustrations that I have on this is that we're always just talking about it. And we're often talking about the problems with workforce analytics, the the problems of dirty data, um, the problems of stakeholder buy-in. And, and there's a big part to me, which is let's let's start working with it, you know, because we're, we'll get there faster if we actually start doing rather than talking. Um, and finally, and I think most importantly, this song is ultimately about having a good time. I like that. Now, let's just break that down a little bit, Julie. You're very articulate, and I appreciate I just love short quotes that are just packed with so much. Is HR just sitting there waiting for someone like you? We'll find out in a few minutes about your role at Mercer. And you and people like Scott and Mick, is HR just sitting there in some company saying, oh, I heard on a radio show it's supposed to be, hey, ho, let's go. Well, maybe we're supposed to do something. Analytics, yeah, maybe it's time. Do you think they're just sitting there waiting to hear the rallying cry? Or do you think somebody at the top, the the chief HRM, HCM person is saying, for goodness sake, get rid of the spreadsheets, get rid of all of the legacy, blank, 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 blank. It's time. We've got the tools. We've got the people. Now let's get the energy. Do you think there's an emotional aspect to this, Julia? I think there's a massive emotional aspect to it. Um, And it's not all with blame. You know, I think um, a lot of HR people, when they've started to use data in the past, it's been quite scary and they've been penalized. You know, if if the headcount's wrong by 0.1%, they get penalized. So it's very hard to think beyond more advanced techniques. Um, But I think we, you know, 
to what we were saying at the beginning, we can't evade this any longer and it's going to bring a lot of benefits. So it is about having the confidence and about kind of stepping out, having a bit of energy um, because yes. there's so much upside if it's done well. And it sounds like there's fun, you said, and there's probably uh, an excitement. I try to bring in that human aspect of the people who were, we're talking to real people out there, Julia and, and Scott and Mick. We're talking to people in the audience and sometimes they just need a little bit of boost. So that's what we're trying to do. Julia, thank you. We have a lot more to hear from you during the show. And would you tell us just briefly who your dad is? I think he's been on the show a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, yes, so my father is Peter Howes, for those that have come across him before, and he used to work at SAP Success Factors, so um, we know Mick and, uh, and the gang very well. Very good. Well, then it's family hour. Thank you very much. And I told you before the show, sidebar, I, I dated the brother of, of the, the drummer in the Ramones years ago. So not exactly family, but I did meet the drummer at a family wedding once. And we'll just leave it there. Very interesting fellow. Now, Mick Collins waiting so patiently. Mick, I said that to a panelist last week on a different show. I said, so-and-so has been waiting patiently. And he countered with, how do you know I'm patient? It was it was really in my face. So, Mick, don't say a word. Mick has sent us a very sobering quote from Woodrow Wilson. This is from the Pueblo speech. The last speech that Woodrow Wilson gave, it was September 25th, 1919, and he was in favor of joining the League of Nations. Thomas Woodrow Wilson, 1856 to 1924, American statesman, academic, and of course, his name is familiar, the 28th president of the U.S. from 1913 to 21. Uh, he served as also the president of Princeton University. I didn't know that from 1902 to 19. He was also the governor of New Jersey, which is where Princeton is located, from 1911 to 13, and then he won the presidential election in 1912. And let's get to the quote. Here it is. Let us be big enough to know the facts. Mick Collins, it's been too long. Have you been? I've been very well. Thanks for having me on the show again. Delighted. So talk to me. And Julia says she knows you from, from back in the day. So how did you pick this quote from Woodrow Wilson? Let us be big enough to know the facts. Who has to be big enough and what are the facts? Bro, fill me in. Go ahead. Well, I think to Julia's point a moment ago around the emotions regarding analytics, I think that's what speaks to me uh, with this quote. And uh, as a side note, I've been involved in analytics and HR research for about 20 years. But had I not done that and had I had the skills and the aptitude I would have loved to have been a presidential speechwriter. I love the idea of using mm. different mediums to convey messages. So I always look for quotes that I think really stand apart from the other communications that we often hear uh, from presidents and other political leaders. And uh, I love this quote because it does speak to where we're headed with analytics. Uh, as you mentioned at the time, Woodrow Wilson was trying to engage support for this new concept, the League of Nations, uh, which coming out mm -hmm. of World War I was designed to hopefully reduce the risk of future such wars and was facing great opposition many of uh, the people who were opposing him feeling jealous that other countries would uh, usurp the u.s when it came to uh, leading in international affairs and so basically woodrow wilson called out to say let's put our emotions aside let's put our jealousy aside uh, let's accept the facts let's see what the facts say for themselves and then we can revise our opinions and uh, i just think it's very apt to what julia mentioned a moment ago where Emotions and bias does come into the work we do within talent management, but can we stand aside from uh, those biases for a moment and look at the data to see what the data says? So uh, that's really the genesis of the fact that I uh, and the, the uh, quote I put together for you. 
Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Um, I, I was very intrigued that you picked somebody f- from from government for this. Uh, we won't talk about how HR works in government, though. There's something in this quote, Mick, let us be big enough, implies that we have to step up, that HR, in, in the case of you're applying it to HR, HR needs to step up and be big enough, meaning um, we have to open up our minds. We have to admit that maybe we have not grasped the facts. Is that what people analytics are going to tell HR, what the real story is, Mick, what's really going on that maybe HR has not wanted to see, not wanted to realize? What's your thought about being big enough? I'm intrigued by that. I do think there's an opportunity for for HR to be stand up and and to be counted when it comes Mm -hmm. to analytics. Um, At times I fear that HR is hit over the head with the fact that other functions in the company – finance and sales and marketing and operations uh, have better analytics that are more widely accepted than when HR comes to the table with the data it possesses. Uh, So I think it's in some respects, HR has been uh, unfairly characterized as a non-analytical function. Mm -hmm. But I also do believe now we've, we've heard about HR analytics for the last 25 or 30 years. So now is the time, uh, if it wasn't the time before, to really grasp the mantle and come out and say, beyond the standard metrics and dashboards that we publish today, here are the five biggest workforce drivers of business success. And let's explain to you the rest of the business, who often think they're HR professionals because they think, how hard can this be? Uh Explain to the rest of the business what this data means for revenue and profitability and operational efficiency, your meaningful data that their colleagues in the rest of the business can accept. You just nailed it. That's what I was looking for, Mick, that nugget in there. You said, how hard can it be to be in HR? Well, gee, uh, very funny story. I, I have a, my personal radio show called Read My Lips Radio on a different internet channel. And I spoke with a gentleman who is the author of the Vigilante Thriller series. Uh, his name is Claude, Claude, French Claude Bouchard, B-O-U-C-H-A-R-D. And I said during the conversation on my show, Claude, what did you do before you started writing thriller novels? He's writing the 16th one in the epic, and he self-published in the beginning. He's got more than half a million listeners all over, I'm sorry, readers all over the world. And you know what he told me, Mick? He said he was in HR. And I said, I said, how did an HR professional go from working in human resources in a company to writing vigilante crime thriller, crime sovereign anyway? That was just, just, it just struck me as okay. And I think that goes very well with the quote you just said. So thank you very much. Scott Pollack, I am going to turn to you and we'd love to get to know our three panelists a little bit better, although I think we know a lot about each of you, but let's get a little bit up close and personal. Scott Pollack, three questions. I'll repeat them if you forget because sometimes people do. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink, your favorite beverage that makes you smile? And I see the wonderful energy in your PR photo you sent me. It's right here in front of me on my on my Mac. And number three, tell us about your role at PwC. Scott Pollack, it's all yours. Great. Well, I am in uh, Chicago today as I transit between Minneapolis and Houston uh, amongst visiting clients. And uh, the what am I drinking or what's in my cup? Um, maybe the drink itself might not be that exciting because uh, it's water. Um, okay. But hopefully it is in a camelback and it is 
part of a hike that I am on with my mm. children and uh, who are now teenage to college aged. And the upcoming hike will be uh, in Kauai over Christmas. Ooh. When we, uh, descend down into Waimea Canyon and uh, maybe do our own little Jurassic Park uh, adventure with uh, with my three children. So that, that is uh, that is my favorite drink uh, when, when when we're in those types of situations. Wonderful. And my role at PwC yeah. mm-hmm. is that I'm a uh, I'm a, a client service partner uh, in our people analytics practice, and so I help clients leverage technology like. Uh, SAP success factors to help them create a uh, an analytic infrastructure to make the most out of their investment in in people. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. And Scott, I'm I so excited for you and your family to go on a trip like that. It sounds like I hope your kids appreciate what a great dad they have. That sounds wonderful. More families should do that. Yes, yes, yes. And I we can look at your quote. I think everyone deserves more than one World Series every 108 years or so. I think every family deserves a trip more than once every how many years? I think that's great. Thank you. And, and be safe. Have a great time. Julia House, we're coming around the table to you. And Julia, we mm-hmm. love the same three questions. Number one, where in the world are you? I know we called you at, a, I think, a UK phone number. Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you? And number three, what in the world is a thriving workforce strategist and what is Mercer? So talk to us, Julia. Absolutely. So yes, I am in London at the moment, which is home for me. Sorry, that's the UK number. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to bring a family dimension back to my favorite beverage as well. So if you'd asked my father when he was on the program, I'm sure his answer would have had something to do with red wine. Um, but I am transitioning actually to craft beer uh, because my brother, who's in Brisbane, Australia, runs his own craft brewery. So I actually have a can of his beer in front of me, uh, which I'll have probably after the show, <laughs> not during. Wow. What- What's the name? Um, Do a shout out. What's the name of the beer? Oh, great. It's uh, Newstead Brewing Co. or NBC, and it's based in Brisbane, Australia. All right. You keep talking. Um, I'm going to Google it. Go ahead. Absolutely. And uh, so thriving workforce, I, it's interesting. My my background, and I've always worked in consulting. So I work for Mercer, which is a HR consulting firm. Uh, and I've always worked in the area of analytics and planning. But, you know, I think for us, it's all about how do we apply that to real issues? And I think one of the biggest issues for organizations at the moment is how do they how do they make their employees thrive? There's so much change at the moment and there's so much concern from employees about what their role is within that change. And so what we're doing is we're trying to use the workforce planning and the analytics to actually help organizations and HR get in front of these issues and make this a really positive change for organizations and employees rather than a threatening change. And so that's the area that I work in. Thank you very much. Now, Newstead, N-E-W-S-T-E-A-D beer. I'm on the website. I want to make sure this is the right one. Newstead Brewing Company. And it says Newstead Brewing Co. was born in a 1940 steel warehouse that was built by Skinner's Coaches. Is that the right one? That's the one. Okay. A combination of, it looks like business and artistic flair gives the site a wonderfully tranquil 
uncomfortable vibe with lashings, ooh, I like that, of industrial robustness. We've done very little to spruce it up, keeping the original elements as much as possible with some modern necessities and large shiny tanks. And uh, it's in between a rock and a hard place in Milton, sits our production brewery and pub, opened in 2017. 67 Castle Main Street is the perfect alternative location. Are you game? Open seven days a week from 6.30 in the morning till late. I like that. Julia, till late. <laughs> that is wonderful. Our birthplace, our spiritual home, 85 Doggett Street, is where it all began on a balmy night back in December 2013. Coffee cart open from 6 a.m. Monday to Friday. Very, very interesting. Thank you for the intro. That's a new one for us, and we appreciate it. So you are certainly from a very stellar family, and uh, nice of you to give a little shout-out to your brother and his brewery. Appreciate that. Mick Collins, what have you been up to? Where are you today? And talk to me about your drink. Well, thank you. I'm, uh, today I'm actually home for a few minutes. I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where I live. But uh, I was in Minneapolis yesterday and heading to uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to SAP headquarters uh, a little bit later this evening. But it's nice to be home for at least uh, 24 hours. Uh, hmm. I was going to say something similar to Julia with respect to the favorite drink. I think overall craft beer is just delightful. In Michigan, we have a... Uh, an unbelievable selection. But I would say if there's one drink that I, I probably look forward to more than anything else, it's, uh, it's an uh, English gravy drink called Bovril. So many of you may have heard of things like uh, Marmite or Vegemite, but essentially it's, uh, uh, it's almost like a broth-type drink. It's often drunk in the wintertime. I had very fond memories of drinking this, this hot gravy-like substance as a kid growing up because we would play soccer outside in the snow and the uh, the rain and the wind, and it was this drink that kept me warm through those games. So anytime I go back to England and I watch a soccer game across there, I, I get a cup of Bovril just to uh, to keep me nice and warm. But if that's not available, I think craft beer is a very good substitute. <laughs> there certainly do. By the way, it's B-O-V-R-I-L, correct, Mick? It is uh, B-O-V-R-I-L, Bovril. Yes, Bovril is the trademark name of a thick and salty meat extract paste similar to a yeast extract developed in the 1870s by John Lawson Johnston, sold in a distinctive bulbous jar. It's owned and distributed by Unilever UK. It can be made into a drink by diluting with hot water or less commonly with milk, used as a flavoring for soups, broths, stews, or porridge, or as a spread, especially on toast in a fashion similar to Marmite or Vegemite. Is that the one? It is, and the way you describe it sounds a lot like various other English delicacies when, when you read it out, it doesn't sound very good, but you've got to taste it to try and you realize how delightful it is. I'm glad it's delightful. We'll leave it at that. It sounds like a bouillon cube, but we have it here in the States. I think, well, yes. Well, thank you. That was certainly different. I, and I, I'm looking at a photo here, a poster from 1900 from the V&A Museum. And there's a, it looks like a train conductor in a, with an umbrella and a big, a woolly mammoth, it looks like. And it says, say guard. Am I right for Bovril? We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Mick, what have you been up to? Uh, yes, so things are very busy here at SAP Success Factors as we get into the end of the year, and analytics is certainly still top of mind for many of our customers who, again, are thinking about what their strategy should be moving forward and then what technology can support that. So uh, it's been a very good year and looking forward to very much to 2019. 
Thank you very much, as we are all. We are going to wait for our predictions at the end of the show, but for right now, I'm going to say let's take a break. By the way, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. It has been rainy and very cold for the past three days. I thought when I moved to the south, we would get a longer summer. Well, we've dipped down into the freezing range, 32 degrees the past couple of nights. Uh, Put the hose bibs on to protect the hose outlets on the outside of the house. Took the plants in from the porch, took the potted plants in from the garden, and put the heat on. What do you think of that? It's just hard to have the rain in the drizzle all day long. Getting a little bit depressing, but the three of you are cheering me up. And all they let me drink, Julia and Scott don't know this. Mick may remember I'm not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days, and this is my second live show today within a few hours, so I'm definitely relegated to water, but who knows what I'll have later on. So I'm going to say to our listeners, you are listening to Changing the Game with HR Radio. Very interesting topic. Seize the data. Yes, that's a play on words. Seize the day. We're doing seize the data. Carpe diem slash data analytics for HR and talent management. My three special guests are Scott Pollack at PwC PricewaterhouseCoopers, Julia Howes, H-O-W-E-S, if you're looking for it, Mercer, and Mick Collins at SAP Success Factors. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in 90 seconds, and Scott's going to start us off on our formal roundtable segment. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP Success Factors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. 
Yes, indeed. That's what we're trying to do. The topic of the day is Seize the Data, Play on Words, Analytics for HR and Talent Management. My special guests are Scott Pollack at PwC, Julia Howes at Mercer, and Mick Collins at SAP Success Factors. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and plan to be for a little while longer. So we're taking a look at Scott Pollack's notes he sent me before the show. And here's where we're going to start, something a little bit provocative, Scott. I'll introduce the topic and then we'll go around the table about two minutes each and See what you all have to say. And panelists, you do not have to agree with everything you hear from the other panelists. So let's keep it fresh. Scott says, most consumers and stakeholders do not want analytics. They simply want to be told what to do to do their job better. Let's relate this to people analytics. Scott, please talk to me. Yeah, I, I think the what we're seeing is that most people, Julia, myself, Mick, are data people. We love to wallow in data. <laughs> our, our stake, our, our our people analytics teams love data, and the business users, the HR business partners who use the information, don't want to wallow in data. They want to do their job, and so I think the opportunity is to start to get prescriptive with the analytics that says, "What is it that I need to do? Who is a likely flight risk, and how do I?" address that? Where are we like in um, our recruiting function so that we can fill jobs better and faster? And so just tell me what to do. Uh, Tell me how to do it better. I think we think of the example of analytics in, say, marketing and sales. How do we find analytics that pops coupons out that tells you what you want to buy? as Mm -hmm. the catch register. So how do we get to the point where the analytics is hidden, but the outcome of the analytics is made simple and available to those people that need to consume it? Interesting. The outcome is made available, but we hide it. What will happen if they see it? Will they say, ugh, no? Will they they run the other direction? Will they say, that's too complicated for me? Just wondering a little clarification before I invite Julia in. Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think when you buy something on Amazon and it tells you that you might also want to be interested in this other product, you don't see all the algorithms that have gone into figuring out that you'd be interested in that product. So, I mean, if you saw them, I think you'd probably be like, okay, sort of nonsensical to me. But, yeah, that product looks pretty interesting. So I think we'd like to get to the same place. Thank you very much. Interesting. Julia House, please join us. Thoughts on what Scott Pollack just shared with us. What do you think? Well, I know that an interesting panel is when we disagree, but unfortunately, I completely agree with Scott on this one. Um, That's fine. I think (laughs) that, um, you know, a lot of the problems I've seen um, with the HR analytics journey is actually where people, uh, the HR team in particular, have gone to the business and actually asked them, you know, what's the, the metrics that you want? What's the KPIs that you want on this dashboard? Or... Um, what measures do you want? And it, it's really a, a path uh, to, to despair, unfortunately, because a lot of the time they don't know the answer. So they might give you things that they think they're interested in, um, but because they don't really know what they want around this particular topic, even if the business leaders themselves are incredibly data savvy uh, in other aspects of their role, when it comes to people data, they, they don't really know what it is that they want to be looking at. Um, and so instead, it's really a matter of trying to get under the skin of what are the people questions or what are the people 
people like concerns that they have? What are the decisions they're making about their people where insights and analytics can help, um, but, but not kind of asking them about the analytics? And then once we get a better understanding of, you know, where they need help, then I think it's up to the analytics team to go and create the analysis and then present it in a way that is presenting the answer and not the techniques, not, not the algorithms that underpin it, etc. Um, so I do completely agree, and I think we often go around about this in, in, the, in the wrong way. Thank you. It sounds like there's a TMI factor in there, Julia. Too much information. I don't want to know how the machine works. Just make my sandwich and let me get to work on time or whatever it is, right? Just let's get it done. Thank you, Julia. And Mick Collins, love to get your thoughts. And you you don't have to agree with them, but I have a feeling you might. Go ahead, Mick. No, I think Scott raises a point where my view on this has changed over the years. I think coming into the field, I often thought that it was all about HR capability. Do HR professionals have the aptitude, the resources, the skills, the knowledge to be able to use analytics? My point of view on that has really turned around the last couple of years because you ask any HR leader whether their team has excess capacity or time to do this kind of work, and in many cases you find out that's not the case. Instead, when they're asked to do analytics, it is at 5 p.m. on a Friday night after all the other work, much of which is very important, finally gets done. So my view has changed from the capability, which I think is still important, but that can only be successful if HR has the capacity to be able to do this. And to Julia's point, I think simplifying exactly what we want to deliver is crucial because there are thousands of metrics that anybody could take a look at. But we all know that if we're all given a massive spreadsheet worth of data, we all try to find out the one or two most important data points we need to pay attention to. And so there's an opportunity for HR to have that point of view to say, here are the five most important pieces of analysis that relate back to your work, Mr. or Mrs. Business Leader, or the MBOs that you have, or the risks that you face, and be cognizant about how much capacity they have to be able to consume this information. Uh, The world is awash in data. Uh, It's our job to synthesize that information and present it to our leaders so they can take advantage of it and not expect them to find the needle in the haystack. Thank you. Very interesting. Scott, I'll just give you a moment to to talk back to or with your two co-panelists. Anything you want to share about how they expanded your topic before I move on? Um, I I mean, I guess what I would say is I don't see anyone doing this yet really well. Mm. And so this is much more of an aspirational capability. And I think gets to the challenges and and, uh, – uplift and adoption issues that we see on this topic. And so uh, very much an aspirational thing as opposed to, hey, there's, there's, there's 50 companies out doing this right now. Thank you. Very interesting. Julia, I'm moving along to your notes you sent me, and I see a common thread here, Julia. So with your permission, I'm going to combine a couple of these statements because I think they link together and tell a story very nicely, and then I'll ask you to expand it. So everybody listen up. This is interesting. Julia says, the biggest mistake in workforce analytics is starting with the data that's available and creating the KPIs. Then she says, Never ask business leaders what metrics they want on a dashboard because they generally don't know what they want. And then she says there's a lot of noise created by the new techniques. We're talking predictive modeling, machine learning. Never start with the technique. 
you know, the shiny new penny. Oh, we have it. It's wonderful. Let's do something with it and try to find a problem. So, Julie, I hope you don't mind that I combine them, but I thought they all were parts of the same the same ball of thread, if you will. So why don't you give us a little insight into this, please? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably one of my biggest reflections around the journey that organizations often go through when they start saying, yes, actually, we can't evade workforce analytics anymore. We we have to get started. And Mm -hmm. they follow a path which seems quite logical at the time, um, but it tends to be kind of, you know, let's start with the data that we have available. Uh, Let's consider the KPIs that we can get from that, you know, so the key measures. And then we might say build a dashboard and then we'll send it on to our HR business partners and we'll magically get insights. And the problem is that when people get that dashboard, they just don't know what to do with it. And that's and then that's in modern times has moved on to the technique. You know, let's do predictive modeling, let's do social network analysis. There's all these great, as you said, shiny new toys out there. Mm-hmm. And so we apply it, but again, people don't really know what to do with the outputs. And, you know, I think where we have seen some some success with organizations is where they really flip that around. So rather than starting with the, the metrics or the dashboard or the technique, they're really starting back from what's the decision that I want to make with this data? So not just what's the kind of critical insight, but where will it actually drive a decision? What's the assumptions I'm making about my workforce? What are the decisions that I'm making in my people strategy today that I'm just making based on my gut instinct and not necessarily based on evidence? And therefore, what what data can we put in place to help make that decision more robust, more effective? And sometimes the best analytics is very simple. It's not the sophisticated stuff, um, but it's effective because it links back to that decision. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Now we'll go around the table. Mick Collins, thoughts on what Julia shared? There's a lot in there. What's your point of view? I was just chuckling at Julia's reference to uh, social networking analysis, which seems to be one of those classic modern examples of a solution chasing a problem. Uh, It looks Mm -hmm. very interesting on paper, but it's often very hard to explain to leaders what this is and why they should care. And I I do think that's a theme throughout. And I had an experience last year that really opened my eyes with respect to this. And I was meeting with a construction company uh, that was talking about turnover rates and predicting terminations and were questioning why their business leaders were not necessarily as excited about that idea as they were in HR. And when asked about what are their business leaders incented upon, they said, well, revenue firstly, as you might expect, and secondly, mm-hmm. for a construction company, health and safety. So if we can tie any kind of human capital data to revenue or to health and safety, then we're going to get people's attention. I mean, maybe the termination rates impact both of those. We know there are many studies that talk about turnover and engagement and how that impacts financials. And likewise, if we have a lot of new employees replacing departing employees, those people may be more susceptible to workplace accidents. But unless you tie that all together, you you tell that story between the HR metric on one side and the outcome like revenue or health and safety on the other side, it's very hard for us to get any kind of credibility. We can't just walk in with the termination rate. It has to be linked back to specifically what, in this case at least, for this organization, what these leaders cared about and what they covered in their senior management meetings because you can bet they talked a lot about revenue and health and safety and not very much about termination rates. 
Thank you. Interesting. Scott Pollack, waiting patiently, I'll say that. Scott, join us. Thoughts, some interesting concepts on the table. Agree, disagree, where are you coming from? Yeah, I'm going to be a little different, and I think this is a matter of both. I think that the the data that you've got, you've got to start reporting on, and you've got to start creating metrics out, and you need to start showing progress in now 30 to 60 days. And so we can't, you know, the, taking a long time to get to the end isn't sufficient. And so we've got to make progress. We've got to have the facts on which to make decisions. Um, in addition, I absolutely agree that what we need to be looking at is, you know, depending on the size of your organization, what's the $100 million problem that's talent-related that we can go solve through better insight? And let's go find that problem that is unassailable so that if we solve it, we don't have to worry about the ROI of people analytics. Uh, and I, so I, I think we need to work these two things in parallel so that we get both sort of the quick wins and that unassailable value combined together. Thank you very much. Julia, I'm going to go around the table back to you. You started this thread. Very interesting. Any comments on what Mick and or Scott added? Go ahead. Yeah, I I think I guess my only challenge back with um, the the opinion of kind of doing both the reporting and then and then the more advanced kind of win is that it I think that sounds very good in theory, but in practice the reality is that most people get stuck in the reporting. So mm-hmm. if you can kind of guarantee that you'll get somewhere in thirty to sixty days, I guess that's one thing. But I've just seen so many organizations never really move beyond it. And so there's there's a real challenge that I guess HR organizations need to to hold themselves to if they're taking that approach, which is we can't wait for the reporting to be embedded properly and perfectly before we do the other, and that we have to put as much, if not more, emphasis into the more strategic value add than the reporting. Because the reporting can suck up all your time, and, and I think organizations are challenged to get somewhere. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on, Mick Collins. We have a little bit of time before our predictions round, which starts in about five and a half minutes. So let's see if we can tackle something here. I'm looking at your notes, and you say, the urgency around workforce analytics tends to stem from one or both of two sources, reactive, which is we can understand pressure from leaders outside the HR function, bring the data with a level of rigor similar to that, other functions, and we talked about other functions in the business that might have more of a spotlight on them, might have a bigger budget, might have more attention. Yes, they're doing something. What are you doing? You're only HR. That's my sidebar. Or the second one is proactive, which is an opportunity for HR to take the initiative woohoo, and bring analytics to the table. So talk to me about that urgency. Is more of it reactive? Is more of it proactive? Are you seeing a mix? Mick? I'm seeing a little bit proactive, but I think there are certain areas where the HR's ability to react is still incredibly important. And one of those big areas is the change in skills within many organizations. You know, you see surveys all the time where CEOs, when they talk about talent management risks, um, discuss the threat or the lack of skills to be able to deliver their growth objectives. But then when you turn to HR to say you have a good integrated competency model that breaks down the current skills by employee and also anticipates the future skills, that data is incredibly hard to find. It often resides within 
multiple different systems. So I think in that one example, the skills challenge, it is still very uh, reactive. We find facing a lot of pressure from CEOs. But for the most part, I think there is now the opportunity. We are seeing more people come into HR from operations roles and finance roles because it is seen as being a gateway to senior executive positions. And there are more universities now that are teaching HR data science. So the, the practice itself is slowly but surely growing, at least in terms of the resources coming into the function. But then there is the opportunity now to decide, to Julie's point, what are those quick wins? And then to Scott's point, how do we institutionalize this and make this much more of a core competency within the function? Thank you, Mick. Let's go around the table. We have a little trouble hearing you, but we did make out what you were saying. Your line changed for some reason. We don't know why. Uh, Scott Pollack, what are your thoughts about the interesting concepts that Mick shared with us? Go ahead, Scott. Just take it quickly in one minute. Yeah, I, I guess we're seeing that this is no longer a discussion of this is being pulled by the, the business or pushed by HR, but this is sort of a competitive necessity as the issue of talent is front and center around the need to either radically upskill workforces, the need to sort of radically rethink cost structures, diversity and inclusion. There's just so many issues that are foundational to the future mm-hmm. success and current uh, capability of a, a, a firm that th- this this is everywhere within organizations and those companies that don't take action, um, we're seeing other parts of the organization take take over responsibility for it. Um, so it 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 is neither sort of that push nor pull anymore, but but sort of an omnipresent requirement. Thank you very much, Ju- Julia. Love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I agree that the people issues are becoming a much stronger business issue. So it is a partnership model, you know, so it's reactive and proactive at the same time. I think we should not underestimate, though, that a lot of the business leaders are also not used to using analytics um, around people issues. So even though there might be a pull from them, they still struggle with it. And so we need to, to kind of factor that into the education. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, and that takes us right back around the table to Scott Pollock at PwC. Scott, 60 seconds. We'd love to know what you see coming, I like to say, up the pike, down the road. I don't know which direction I'm going, but off into the future. We're almost on the brink of 2020, just a oh, about, what, 13 months to go, 13 and a half months. So let's say predict something between 2020 and 2025. Be as specific as you want or as vague as you want. What will change about this topic of analytics? for HR and talent management. Scott Pollack, 60 seconds, go. Yeah, I go kind of specific in my prediction, and I, I think that email and employee communications is going to become one of the most robust sources of data that we're going to be analyzing to understand um, more about talent. And I'm not talking about how do we sort of read people's emails, but if we think about teaming, collaboration, work-life balance, a whole set of issues that are really tough to measure coming out of HRIS systems. And we start to look at the the metadata uh, within email, within employee communications. I think we're going to really find the answers to our questions on things that are sort of vexing us in people analytics right now. Thank you very much. Vexing is a good word to end the show with. And it's true. Julia Howes at Mercer. I have 60 seconds with your name on it. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I will go broad. I think two things. One, 
I would hope that we'll move to a position where no kind of major business decision um, or strategic direction is set without first considering the people aspects of it. So I think at the moment it's often assessed afterwards as an afterthought and I think it will become front and centre of it and obviously the analytics will be core. And secondly, no major people decision or HR strategy is made without analysis to help make that decision and monitor its implementation. So I think that's a nice link back to Scott. We're going to have a lot more real-time analysis, whether it's emails, devices, (laughs) chips, uh, movement, and so we'll be able to monitor as well as help make decisions with the data. Thank you very much. Great insights. And let's wrap this up with Mick Collins at SAP Success Factors. Mick, oh my goodness, Mick, uh, they were so concise. I can give you 90 seconds. Take your time. Go ahead, Mick. It's your good. It's your lucky day. Go ahead. Well, I'll take a look at this from the perspective of the employee themselves. And for many employees today, they have extremely limited access to data. If they're thinking about their next career move within their company, or outside, chances are the only data they see is the compensation for that position. So my prediction will be over the next five years that the majority of decisions that I, the employee, make about my career, the learning Mm -hmm. I take, the experiences I have, the mentoring I receive, that will be based on either data coming from HR or that's embedded in the systems that I use through artificial intelligence and machine learning. So hopefully... Uh, as I think about what the next 20 years of my career might be, uh, I would expect now to have as much data and insights as possible to help with those decisions much more than we have today, which is really, again, based largely on maybe knowing the compensation, but having nothing else. Thank you. Very interesting. I have a quick bonus question. I've got about 90 seconds left, and I don't need that much time to close the show. Scott Pollack, question. By 2025, will we still be calling it some version of HR human resources or human capital management, or will it just be called the Pollack function? Scott, predict a different name for HR in the next five years, if you dare. Go ahead, quickly, and then Julia, and then Mick. Scott? Yeah, I think it'll be culture. Ah, I think I've heard that before. That would be fascinating. Hey, Bob, you got a new job here. Welcome to widgetindustries.com, and we're going to have you meet with the culture department. I can't wait to see what that interaction looks like. I actually like it. Julia, how's it? Mercer, what's your prediction on how the name of HR will change? Be bold. Okay, well, I'll stay with Steve and call it Capability. Oh, I like it. I thought you were going to say it would be called Hey Ho, Let's Go. <laughs> or, hey, I, I don't mind that as a tagline. I'll give you that. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. Mick Collins, what would you rename HR? I think that's the offboarding function, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Very, very sharp. What would you call it? Uh, it sounds terrible, but enterprise productivity. Taking our human resources and aligning them with our other assets and using that to drive productivity. EP, and I would just I would just call it people. Just the people department. That's all. Just people. Anyway, who asked me? I don't know. I want to thank the three of you. I thought this was a fascinating discussion. It's always interesting to hear the live, the, the life put into a topic like analytics from people who are very passionate about it. And that's what we got today. So I want to say thank you, Scott Pollack at PwC. Such a pleasure to have you on board and say hello to Carol Z for us. Julia Howes at Mercer. Say hello to your brother, the brewer, and your dad, Peter Howes. And Mick Collins, uh, you can say hello 
Hello to everybody at SAP Success Factors. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio. And here is my call to action. Listen up. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Scott Pollack at PwC, just like Julia Howes at Mercer, and just like Mick Collins at SAP Success Factors. Have a great day. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel with a live edition of the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.